take that challenge today. Don't wait. If you say you want to be the best in your practice area, or you say, you know, you want to do something, you have that control right this second. All you have to do is take a second and go, what am I going to do different this month and start executing all those items? That's Bob Tharp, founding partner of Meriwether and Tharp. It's not one little thing. It's a lot of continued, uh, consistent effort to get where we've been. But I think for other people, they sit there and go, well, I can't do that. And I'd just like to make sure they understand clearly. You may, you may not be able to do everything we're doing today, but you can do one thing. And off of that, you can build to other things. And I think that's the opportunity that people could really grow from. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Bob Tharp to discuss how to connect with your ideal client with content marketing, how to combat complacency by setting bigger and bigger goals, and how to scale your law firm into a market leader. I don't think there's a point I'm ever going to be satisfied. I don't think there's a point that I'm ever going to be, you know, oh, I'm done. That's what I was looking to accomplish. Congratulations. We're out of here. They'll make fun of me in the side of the office. You know, we'll hit some goal internally and that meeting won't be over before I announce the next goal. I'm working on it as a leader to celebrate the victories, but I'm always looking to what's the next step? What can we do better? We hit that goal. Great. What's next? That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Bob Tharp is a nationally recognized attorney and the founding partner of Meriwether & Tharp, an eight-figure family law firm in Atlanta, Georgia, which has earned a spot on the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest-growing private companies in America for four years in a row. To begin our conversation, I asked Bob about his early days and the experiences that molded him into becoming the leader he is today. You know, probably the biggest one was debate. Um, started in high school debate, little team, middle Georgia, Warner Robins High School, and Tough for a small little public high school to compete on the national scale in high school, but I think it got the itch going. So when I went to Emory, continued debating and uh, kind of made a little bit of a lifetime out of it. What led to the decision to start your own firm? You know, I think I went to law school planning on opening my own firm. A little different than most people. Um, I had run a company in college. Uh, I was working on campaigns, running a lot of marketing for different campaigns and helping people get elected. And I think I really went to law school straight in with zoned in purpose. I'm going to open my own practice. First year summer, I studied what the law firm did I was working with. Second year summer, I studied what they were doing and try to think about what I liked about what they're doing and they didn't like and literally open right out of law school. So were you always entrepreneurial? I mean, just coming back to even a, even an early age? You know, probably so. I think I started cutting grass uh, around the neighborhood for a couple extra bucks here and there, break leaves, whatever it would take. Did it throughout college, early years, you know, someone needed help moving stuff in or out. Oh, yeah, you know, there's $5 there, you know, I jump on board. So then, you know, anything you can go to law school for, any practice that you can start, what, why family law? You know, that's a great question. Family law to me is kind of like a bread and butter practice area. Uh, family law, criminal, these are things that most people go through. They're frankly, the most of the court systems docket. Everything else takes second fiddle to those two practice areas. So, you know, it's there. 
it's recession proof. I think um, when I thought about what type of practice area I wanted, the fact that I didn't have to worry about how the economy was doing completely um, certainly influenced uh, that thought process. It's also a place where you actually get real client contact uh, when you're working for some corporations and you just don't see them directly and you don't know, have the same feeling as when you're helping someone individually directly on their case. In many cases, I think when anyone's reaching out to a lawyer, it's not a good day in their life, but particularly if we're talking about like divorce and so on, and that's every single day, what prepares you for that? I don't know if anything per se prepares you. You've got to understand it's their divorce, not yours. You got to be careful about becoming overly personally involved, but you also got to be a lot more empathy in this practice area than you would find in some other areas. People have some real pain and they're suffering through some real stuff. So you want to be there for them. And you guys are now 20 plus years. You built this phenomenal practice. I believe over 100 team members, eight-figure firm, multiple eight-figure years. I mean, you don't see a whole lot of this primarily in, in family law, right? I mean, that's what, what is it that you guys are doing differently? A lot of practice areas are all about hitting the home run, landing the big case. Family law is not that. It is about a true grinding it out type of success. It's doing everything a little bit better than yesterday. And, you know, on the same time, you're, you're going to be paid for what you're doing. You're getting success along the way. So it's really depends on how much effort you want to put in. You control your outcome. A lot of people, you know, look for the quick hits. I think of that much more like playing the lottery. You know, success is there in divorce if you want to keep doing your job and bill your hours and do a good job for clients and all the fundamentals. Now, Bob, you and I both know if there's another family lawyer listening, they're going to argue that they're also working hard, but their results are not your results. So if we could get down to even some of the specifics, because I mean, everything down to some of the systems you've implemented, maybe even some of the marketing strategies, uh, you guys have the M&T way. Tell me about that. You know, there's a lot of really hard work in, and there's some really great uh, divorce attorneys out there. I think one of the things that really helped us is, and I think it helps a lot of different practice areas, not just divorce, is a focus of running a business, not just running a, being a good lawyer. I always try to look at both sides of it. What I see out there is some great attorneys that never spend any time thinking about running their business. Then they go, uh, why am I not getting where I want to be? You got to look at both sides. You've got to understand that you actually are running a business at all times. So, you know, I look at marketing, intakes, all the way through billing. Every piece of our practice, I'm always analyzing, go, what can we do better? Were you always this way? I know you mentioned that even even through law school, you always wanted to open up a practice. But as far as kind of learning the business side of it, how did that come to be? Oh, I've always loved business. Every, you know, probably even back in high school, I remember working at a grocery store in high school and thinking about how they placed different items to sell, get the kids at the you know checkout register with the gum. It's always been intriguing to me. It's also intriguing why some companies win and some don't. It's not always the best place that wins. It's the one that sort of gets the business fundamentals down that really leads to success. Now, if you can look back on you know the last, let's say, 23 plus years, I think that there's been a series of very good decisions that you've made that likely had a huge impact on the firm. Are there a few key decisions that you can look back on that you believe had, let's say, like led to the greatest impact in the firm? Two in particular stick out. One was the decision to focus only family law. We actually didn't start as a family law firm. We started doing uh, pretty much everything but family law. I did some business litigation, personal injury, definitely did some criminal work. So the first big decision was to focus just on family law and not everything else. That allowed us to build systems and actually figure out how things can be replicated throughout the process. The second decision, which I know a lot of people questioned at the time, was the decision to kind of stop practicing as much as I was 
and getting other attorneys trained up, spending my time training additional attorneys to go out there rather than myself. It's a really tough call because people go, you're the top biller in the firm. You're the guy that's billing the highest billable hour. Of course, we need you out there. But if you're out there, you're not helping your uh, the rest of your team inside the house. And that's what I thought was more important. You have to make that jump. You have to make that leap. You have to go against what everyone was telling you. I remember how everyone reacted when I told everyone to go in. By the way, guys, here's what's going to happen. And they were like, but, you know, we need you out there. You know, it wasn't like I was leaving the practice. I was just taking a different point of view. I was helping behind the scenes. I was helping them set up the cases, letting them work with the clients directly in the front end. And over the years, as the firm is growing and scaling and not just in headcount, but also in revenue and, and even the number of clients, what were some of the biggest changes that you saw as, as you guys were growing, you know, year over year, hitting the seven figure mark, eight figure mark, just in terms of the structure of the practice and how you led the firm? I mean, I think, you know, we started realizing the need for administrative side of the practice. That was one of the first early challenges was, oh, wow, we actually need someone in charge of marketing. We need someone in charge of handling intakes. I think all of us as attorneys handled every intake call for a while, and you just can't keep doing that. You had to do something different. So it was a lot of small little decisions like that that sort of implemented every day where you're sort of going, is there a better way of doing what we just did yesterday? And we kept replicating that that model. And yeah, I imagine that you were also during this time networking with other lawyers, other law firm owners, and we were like we seeing very different results. So where were you? Where were you learning during this time? I probably learned outside of family law. I don't think I spent a lot of time trying to figure out for my competitors what to do. I looked at other fields that I wasn't competing with and going, what are they doing? I studied personal injury attorneys a lot. I started going, how are they running their practices? I studied a lot of non-attorneys. Every business you know, point of view, especially medical practices, I used to represent a lot of medical practices. I saw how they got acquired by big corporations, and I was trying to understand what were they doing different than before, and what did I like about it, frankly, and what I didn't like about it, and try to implement some of those things. And. I know something that comes up quite frequently when you talk about the firm is creating this idea of this wow experience for your clients. And when we talk about something like divorce, right, that and the idea of a wow experience could sometimes be a little bit striking. What does that mean? What is that experience like? And how does that fit into your process? You're not going to make a divorce a happy thing. But going through that difficult time, you want someone to be provided the best service they can, much better than they normally would get. They need more than they normally get. They need They deserve more than they normally would receive. And I think that's kind of the key focus is, is what can we do to make this process a little bit better, a little bit easier? It's not going to make it perfect. It's not going to make it good. There's no winners in a divorce, but you can make the process at least as smooth as possible for them through the process. Is there like one specific thing that you guys do that you believe that other firms don't do or that, I mean, that, that's been, I guess, a key differentiator in that client experience? couple things. Education. That is a core value of the practice, and it goes up and down uh, the systems. We you know, have a website with about 5,000 pages of content talking about every aspect of divorce. We are a content-driven marketing company. But the funny thing is it actually didn't come from a marketing approach. It came from an approach of trying to help our clients. They'd have a lot of common questions. I was like, well, I get that all the time. Let me just put it up on the web for people so I don't you know, have to waste their money answering a common question. I liked it better as an attorney because I could do more advanced stuff. They liked it because they were learning a lot of stuff for free. It was kind of a win-win. Education is definitely a core value of how we got to where we are on that side. 
And speaking of marketing, I know at this point you guys do a lot of marketing and some of it is is things that you can very much directly track while other initiatives may, maybe not as, you know, as trackable. Uh, if you could speak to some of the things that you guys do from a marketing standpoint. We do a lot. We've probably started as a digital practice first. That means we uh, focused in on what people would call SEO, organic searches, winning content uh, spots. We didn't target the land of divorce lawyer type of terms that everyone would target. We targeted, you know, what I call long tail concepts that they would ask and try to work on that side of things. We also um, spend a lot of time on PPC, but we buy a lot different than most people do. We don't try to buy the same high price terms. We focus on terms we think are relative good values on location based targets. So we do a lot of the trackable digital stuff, but we also see that that trackable digital stuff is influenced by branding. It's just plain and simple. If people know you, uh, they're much more likely and more comfortable to check you out. And that's all we're asking. So, you know, we do a lot of time on branding. We brand with a UGA, a lot of stuff with the Dog Nation and with a, a football program out there. We do a lot of stuff with local radio and we kind of keep, you know, different avenues. You know, some of it's just a blind leap of faith. That that's the problem with branding. You don't have the, uh, the information, but you do see the results you start to see that people recognize you better. You start to hear uh, people going, oh, I heard your ad, Bob. You recognize your name ID is moving up a little bit in the community. And that's important to uh, at least be in the consideration for a client looking to hire. As far as making the decision, I believe in making a blend, just like a good investment portfolio is a blend of different things. I think you want to have a blend. Branding's part of it. If you just go straight digital, you're missing the fact that you're paying a lot higher amounts than you should because people don't know who you are. Uh, you want to blend it all together. And let's talk about Dog Nation, for example. I know you're a huge UGA fan. Go dogs. Go dogs. I, I, I wonder if that influenced your decision to, to sponsor Dog Nation. And Because and, you're a huge fan, right? You, you're at the Georgia Games. Um, you love just being there in the first place. And then sponsoring Dog Nation, which I think is most one of the most widely listened to and viewed, like just, what would you even call it? It's like a, a UGA like news show, essentially, right? They have a daily news show coming out. I probably started sponsoring them because you're right. I, I enjoyed them. I liked it. I wanted to support what they were doing. Got to know the different people that produced it through a lot of different contacts I had. I wanted to show that support. The other side too is I really wanted to find an audience that I could relate to. You know, Atlanta's what, 6 million people roughly, give or take. And you can't be known by everybody, but you can find markets that you want to target, it's groups that you have affinity with. We have a lot of affinity with the Georgia fans, and I think a lot of them, and we're, we'll be on the forums with them. We'll chat with them online. Not about divorce. You know, we're talking about football. Who's going to start? Injuries, the stuff that normal fans talk about, because I think they want that real feel, and frankly, we enjoy it. So you've got your your branding on you know any of these videos that they put up. It seems like that's very difficult to track. But have you had people that over the years have said, I, I saw you or I listened to you on Dog Nation and that's why I reached out? Or how have you been able to determine if that's been effective? You'd be surprised how many consumers will just straight up tell you, I've been following your Dog Nation for years and thought I'd give you a call. We'll get a bunch of those per month. But if you made your buying decision just off of those feedbacks, you wouldn't make the, the buy. You have to look past that is just being considered by a lot of folks that just don't even remember where they heard you. I always find it fascinating for all the branding we do. Someone will say, I heard you on this radio station that I never advertised on. I loved your billboards. That's the, I'm still looking for my billboard in Atlanta because uh, everyone's, you know, we have at least once a month, someone said, I saw you on the billboard. I'm like, ooh, we don't have a billboard. They don't know exactly where they heard you or how they followed you, 
but the branding does have a huge impact on everything through the process. And you guys have kept your foot on the gas. I want to talk to the, you know, kind of the long-term approach because it, everything you just mentioned, whether it's SEO or pay-per-click, like the the website having so much content. I know you guys put out a lot of like divorce guides and even the radio show itself. If you could speak to just the consistency of that, how long you've been doing it, the frequency of it, just so people can get a sense that it wasn't just you know, something that you did one day and then immediately the firm took off. Oh, no, it takes a long time. We've been doing this probably for 10 years uh, on WSB. We started writing our blogs in 2007, I think, and we continue to push content nearly daily. I think we're on our 200th podcast is coming out here soon. We do the radio show in Atlanta. It's not one little thing. It's a lot of continued, uh, consistent effort to get where we've been. But I think for other people, they sit there and go, well, I can't do that. And I'd just like to make sure they understand clearly. You may, you may not be able to do everything we're doing today, but you can do one thing. And off of that, you can build to other things. And I think that's the opportunity that people could really grow from. And as you guys have been taking things to the next level, I know you recently did a, a study on branding and taglines and it just makes different audience responses to key messages. What was the, the reason for that taking that approach? I'm a, a data guy. I'm an analytics guy. So I want as much data making my buying decisions as possible. Even when it comes to something like branding, we do customer you know, surveys. So we'll actually do studies just like, you know, WSB does for their radios uh, and for political campaigns. We'll sit there and go, what's, you know, what appeals, what doesn't appeal and try to test the messages before we go out with them. So we can try to be on point with the best response rate we can. Anyone can just pop up an ad, but popping off an ad that's really nailing your buying proposition and why people should buy from you versus someone else's, what makes you different. So this is when you're getting feedback like this and you're getting data like this, this is now influencing the messaging of, of future marketing. It does. We'll test every radio commercial before they go live just to see how it does versus other old commercials. We test all videos that we do. We did a video with y'all and did a great job. But, you know, we tested our old video with it uh, before that one went out to sort of go, did we improve or not? If not, you know, what can we do to get better? So, Bob, I know we've talked about a lot of the, the good decisions that you've made over the past 20 plus years. Looking back, what have been you know, perhaps some of, the, some of the mistakes that you've made and, and what were some of the things that you've learned just over the past few decades? Two things stick out. Building systems sooner. Uh, as difficult as it is, we wasted a lot of energy doing things again and again from scratch so that we should just build a system from the first time we went through it. That would have been a huge help. The other side of it, I think, is we should have thought about leadership earlier. When you start to approach you know, that one to 10 million, try to push forward as far as your revenue growth, one of the key components of that is building a better leadership team and having other people help you do it. And I think we could have started that initiative a little bit sooner. From your experience, which revenue mark has been the most challenging to, uh, to reach so far? 100 million. Haven't done it. <laughs> Uh, you know, 10 million was uh, definitely a tough mark. It, it was a goal there for many years. I felt pretty comfortable we'd get there. I sort of saw some plans of how we'd get there, but you know, the timing wasn't in, always in my control. One thing we're real proud of that people don't talk about a lot is we've never gone backwards in revenue in 23 years. So it's 23 year anniversary right now. And um, don't intend to start now. Many leaders spend their time primarily thinking big picture. But Bob focuses on the details, balancing innovation with continuous incremental improvements. We focus on winning uh, what I call the game of inches. Everyone talks about, you know, go the extra mile. 
internally, they'll tell you, um, Bob's all about going the extra inch, do a little bit better with everything we do. And the cumulative effect of a little bit better as you grow in size is a lot better happens quicker. So, you know, simple thing, you build an extra half an hour a week. All right. For one person, probably not going to swing the dial. But if you get, you know, 40 plus attorneys doing it, it's going to make a difference. You get that plus all the paralegals, it's going to make a huge difference. And people don't understand the power of small little victories and just slight improvements that really influence the process. To me, it's the 1% game. It's not per se that, you know, we're a better firm than other firms. There's a lot of great attorneys out there. I recognize that. But we really try to push that extra 1% every chance we can and everything we do, whether it's marketing, intakes, frankly, how we run a case, how we build our systems, uh, all the way through the billing process. How would you describe the culture of the firm? We focus a little bit different than some firms. Uh, we've tried to you know, emphasize the family uh, side of the family law practice. We're a little bit more work-life balanced than I think a lot of firms that try to compete at our level. We uh, recognize that you know, there is more to this than just practicing law and that together we can achieve a lot of wonderful things. Education is the core. We really invest in our people. Uh, we invest in our clients. We believe that uh, lifetime learning is critical to our process. you got to keep getting better and you can learn from everything. Certainly you can read books and stuff like that, but you, you know, you know, I go to Disney all the time. When I go to Disney, I learn something there almost every time, but that'll help me influence how to run my practice. You know, Disney does it better than almost anyone out there. When you think about who you can model, you talked earlier about looking at other family law firms. You know, let's, why would we stop there? Disney um, is known for its great, excellent customer service. So, you know, let's start there. Let's go with who the best in the country are doing it and see what we can do that they do. One of the big lessons I got from Disney is how much they invest in their employees so their employees could take care of you know, their folks. Nothing's perfect. I understand there's plenty of critiques people would have on it. But I think they do a pretty darn good job for a, as huge of a company as they are of helping their the focus be where it needs to be, taking care of the clients, providing excellent customer service, lifetime memories. That's what it's all about. So I want to talk because just from a leadership standpoint, just over the years, we're talking about kind of your evolution as a leader. How, how is it any different? Are you, are you different in how you lead today versus how you started the firm or how, how has this kind of evolved over time? It's definitely evolved. I, I don't even know that I would call myself a leader in the beginning. I uh, just sort of did, uh, I think, what a lot of attorneys do. I just practiced law, did my thing. I'm not so sure I've recognized how fast we were growing and how big we were getting for a long time. I just kept, you know, I'm, I'm Bob. I'm doing what we're doing. And I just try to approach it with a simple golden rule type of approach. Treat others the way you want to be treated. I think, though, as you grow, you start to recognize you've got to actually take ownership of your position in the firm. And that includes setting the pace, setting the tone, showing what's acceptable, what's not, holding people accountable uh, for their results, um, really demanding someone to be a little bit excellent, uh, better than they were yesterday. Maybe it is a Nick Saban thing, but that extra little push, how much better can you get? It makes a difference. So Bob, I want an honest answer here when I ask you this because it, it, it's okay, right? So I can tell you right out of the gate, not everyone listening will agree or will like it. There's going to be some I think that will agree. This is something that, again, I, I like to ask leaders because I want to hear their perspective. But do you believe that as a leader, you've got to be neurotic or obsessed to be successful? I think it helps. I kid behind the scenes that um, I've made a career out of my OCD. I am probably a little bit of obsessive on everything we do. 
simple little things, the font choice, how it looks, the presentation, how quickly we're calling people back, every point of contact, what can we do better? So hey, I think you do have to be a little obsessive about trying to be perfect or at least trying to get better at uh, all the time. And I think it's too easy for people to sit back and not keep trying to get better. You know, if they feel success and they're, they're pretty happy with it. I don't know that I'll ever be satisfied. That will probably be the end story. I will go all the way, always going, what can I do better? Even when I practice at the very beginning, try a case, what can I do better on that trial? I would never walk out of the courtroom practically before I didn't have a list, you know, of 30 items I want to do better next time. That's the way I approach everything we do. So we talk about this concept like of satiability and having achieved the level of success and, and, and you guys having multiple eight-figure years, like what keeps you hungry? What keeps you going? I think there is something just independent about trying to always get better. There is something that's sort of just the drive to see what can you do, what type of impact you can make, how many people you can help in terms of clients, what type of inf- impact can we have on the process? We actually you know, are out there trying to change the process. We want to see if we can make it a little bit more resolution focused. That's one of our core values. Uh, it doesn't have to be as every case go to a trial. We're dealing with divorce. There's certainly practice areas that should go to trial and should battle it out. But when you got kids involved, it's not always the best approach. You know, that's one thing I think we like to approach different is our saying divorce hurts, but doesn't have to be nasty. But, you know, we really live it is, you know, we'll try to save a marriage when we can. Uh, when it's still possible, it doesn't hurt your business. Uh, people always go, isn't that really counter to your business? It's just not. You always you know, get better by trying to do right and uh, try to do good out there. Now, I believe you guys put out among the most, if not the most, like free resources, content, just period for people that uh, probably could you know, even prevent them from hiring you, right? You're giving them so much information. Um, what's the thought process behind that? It's been a content-based strategy from the very beginning. It's about just trying to help people, not just people that can afford you, but help everybody. As lawyers, we pretend to hold that the law was some great magical Wizard of Oz thing that uh, the regular person can't understand and they have to hire us. You know, and maybe that's true for some stuff, but for a lot of divorce, they have some basic questions that they deserve answers. And we shouldn't make the law so mysterious. We can explain it to them. I think it just helps improve the quality of clients that you do get. Are the clients we lose from it? Probably. Are the clients that do it on their own? Probably. I don't worry about that. Uh, they also might uh, refer five of their friends to come check out our website and maybe one of them hires us. Maybe they start down the process and they need help and they hire us later in the process. I don't think it's a bad thing. Or maybe they're actually just able to do it on their own and they might not have been able to afford to do it. So we can help them in that way. If you just take it from the concept of just trying to help people is the priority, Things work out. Uh, there's plenty of people to help in this process. Bob, how do you uh, how do you define success? To me, always trying to get better, always try to improve, uh, to never rest, to always see what you can do better. I don't think there's a point I'm ever going to be satisfied. I don't think there's a point that I'm ever going to be, you know, oh, I'm done. That's what I was looking to accomplish. Congratulations, we're out of here. They'll make fun of me in the side of the office quite often because you know we'll hit some goal internally. And that meeting won't be over before I announce the next goal. I'm working on it as a leader to celebrate the victories, but I'm always looking to what's the next step? What can we do better? We hit that goal. Great. What's next? 
in a way, it's almost like the journey is, is the reward, right? I mean, they've done studies on this and shown that the actual true fulfillment comes from not the achievement of a goal, but the process of the capabilities that you gain, the challenges that you solve, you know, the adversities you overcome on the way to getting there, right? This is sometimes why I think in the, in the achievement of a goal, it's kind of an empty feeling many times, right? You know, that's a really great point. Um, probably the emptiest I felt in the practice is once we hit our 10 million mark. And I sat there with that goal out there for so long that when we hit it, I was sitting there going, what's next? You know, we had a couple of goals along the way that we achieved, and that was kind of the last of a series of them. It is the journey. It is the process that you'll look back and enjoy the, did you do X and hit Y? That's what you're trying to do. And sometimes X doesn't equal Y, and you you know, go, okay, what else can I do? What can I do different? How can I approach this in a different way that might get to where I'm trying to go. Once you're there, you're right. You've got to have something else that keeps pulling you along. And looking ahead to the future, I mean, just in terms of the legal landscape in general, what, what do you predict? How, how do things either continue to evolve? What do law firm owners, what do you think they should be thinking about in order to continue to adapt and even stay ahead? More and more people are going to go online for services. They're going to use digital platforms. The old school networking, it has a role. It has a place but it's not a way to build a a practice. It's not a way to really grow. You're going to have to learn to compete in the new environment online. We now are on video. You got to be able to reach the consumer where they are. You got to provide services that they want that are useful. We're all going to figure out how we can make them more cost effective for people. People can't afford endless dollars on a divorce. They got to figure out how we can do this more effectively, more cost efficiently to help more people. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, so much of it is about adapting to the needs of consumers. And what I found is that they're really gauging that experience, not based on their experience with law firms, but their experience with other businesses and brands, right? So the experience that they get when they buy something off Amazon or when they're, you know, ordering uh, DoorDash or something like that, they get, or even when they're at Starbucks, they get conditioned to a certain level of service, a certain like, you know, on-demand level of experience and so on. And then, and then they hire a law firm and it's almost like this, they're in shock at this process and this experience of, of dealing with a business. Right after after working with something that was so fluid and, and so seamless, so it seems like the anything that helps to kind of meet consumer expectations is a very good thing. That's what it comes down to, um, and we have a really tough job as lawyers ahead. You look out there; everything's moving really fast in society, and law's not keeping up. We uh, still think, oh, six months of discovery is not a long time. That's discovery period in Georgia. That's a long time for people in my practice here. A long time to be going through a divorce, not knowing what your future holds. You know, it could be another period of time before you get to go to trial. All this can add up. It can be a year, sometimes two, in very contested cases to get a divorce. People are used to getting stuff in the mail uh, a day later. Um, they're on Amazon, inspected on their door the next morning. The law's got some work to do on trying to figure out how do we keep up with this pace of society. And speaking of which, Bob, just shifting personally, what are some of the, let's say, habits that you practice, whether it's daily or weekly, that help you, you keep up and keep you on track and keep you engaged? I probably start every day the same way. Uh, I guess everyone does. I've got to have my cup of coffee, get going. Um, but when I get in there, I probably first thing I check is uh, Google Analytics. I see how we're doing online from the day before, followed up by our uh, intake management system to go, how are those you know numbers looking? So I get a quick... KPI scoreboard to start the day. And then I look through, uh, we use Microsoft Planner. What plans do we have coming up? And uh, what are my big to-do items for the day? So I always try to zone in. What are my top three things I want to knock out today? I don't usually try to pick more than three unless there's, you know, the silly little things. I try to nail three because, you know, workday is going to sidetrack me enough for different ways. If I can 
finish my day with all three done, I, I consider it a successful day. And I can promise you that most law firm owners don't start their day looking at their Google Analytics. I love that you said that because it's it's so intentional, right? So there's, I mean, I imagine that at any on any given day, you've got you know clear view and you can tell exactly how many intakes there were. You know, what's the cash flow situation looking like? What are any sort of marketing metrics like? Do you know this these numbers and do you know this data on almost like a day day by day basis, if not like an hourly basis? I don't have it hourly, um, but yeah, but I do have it daily. I think if you want to get better, you need to know it daily. How quickly you're checking in on things is honestly how fast it improves. So if you want to improve stuff, check in on it more often. If you think about this, if you're trying to lose weight, if you check on it once a year, you're probably not going to make a lot of positive strides. Check on it once a month, maybe a little bit better, but honestly, probably not much. You start checking on it daily, that's when you start losing weight. You start focusing on it, it starts changing your behavior. So, yeah, I check on a, everything on a daily basis and literally having my browser opens up with analytics or you know, intake system and a Microsoft Planner pre-opened, ready to go. So it forces me to look at it every single morning. Simple little thing to check in on. It's that habit of just checking and caring. Yeah, I, I look at my numbers. Like you said, I can look in there and go, did we win or lose yesterday? If I see the number of web hits and if we're off and I notice this pattern, I start to go, okay, what do we need to do different? How do we make this adjustment now? Because you won't always win. There's days when we lose too. But I think one thing we do uh, really well is we make adjustments quickly when we're losing to try to turn that around. And so it's not a month or a year later, it's a day or a week later. It almost creates this level of accountability, right? Now, there's going to be some people that will say, maybe I don't check every day or every hour, every 10 minutes or or whatever it is. But to be able to know the health of your business, right? And to be able to know, like, as you described, like, did we win or lose? If you know this daily, right, then you know it weekly, you know it monthly, then quarterly and so on. And and then that tends to add up over the years. It's simple. You get a monthly goal. If there's 30 days in a month and you want to make, you know, $30,000 that month, well, that means 1000 a day. You should be able to go, am I on pace or off pace every single day? You know, fine-tune that system a little bit for weekends versus weekdays and uh, improve it a little bit over the years. But here it is, almost the 15th of the month. I know exactly where we're supposed to be on the 15th of the month. And are we on pace or off pace to be there? And if we're not, you make your adjustment now. You don't wait till the end of the month to make that adjustment. Yeah. And if you're looking back over the last 23 years, just, just for example, how many adjustments have you had to make in a given year? We really do thousands of adjustments. Um, people don't realize uh, we change at least three web pages a day. We're studying how each web page performs. If we don't like the performance, we make a change there in the marketing department. Uh, we study every intake call going, what can we do better? It's just like football players take it for granted that they're going to go back and watch the film on their game. Why aren't we watching our film? A lot of people will go up there and try a case and they don't study how they did before. I mean, the first time you're presenting that argument, better not be in court. You should have already done it two or three times so that you're pretty polished by the time you're at the courthouse. Same thing applies throughout your whole practice. You should know exactly what you're trying to achieve and study how you did. So I think this goes back, I mean, what you just described, you know, even when I asked you at the start of the podcast, like, what is it that you guys do do differently that's led to the, the growth of the firm? I think what you just described, the thousands of adjustments that take place every single year because you have oversight and because you've created that culture of accountability. I mean, I, I would argue that's what's led to those types of results. And you couple that with the fact that you mentioned you guys have never backslid in, in revenue in any year, in over 20 years. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, it's it's a lot of hard work. It's nothing glorious. It's it's very quiet. 
I think one thing that's been interesting about how we've grown is we haven't really had a big, you know, name coming out there. We just quietly did our thing and keep making those adjustments, keep getting better. But it's also a lot of hidden late nights. A lot of the web pages are done after hours every single night. But if you just do one web page a night for 30 days, you've got a 30 page advantage. You do that for a year, you're at 360 pages. All of a sudden you're competitive. If you're not there where you want to be today, take those steps right now to start taking one little change, change one little habit and build off of that one piece. Yeah, you want to make a bunch of them. And over time, you will. But you got to start somewhere. you got to start making one adjustment. And it's interesting, even before we started the podcast, we were talking about the fact that even now you guys are not only continuing with education within the firm, but you're continuing to make those improvements all across the board. I imagine you see, even with the results you've had to this point, you're consistently seeing areas of improvement. You know, I think that's the, the strangest thing to find as you grow. I find more problems with what we do now than I did when I first started. Um, if you ask me everything that was wrong the first year, that list would have been pretty short. You ask me what everything we do wrong this year, and that list is going to be thousands. If you're really trying to get to be great, you're going to look and see thousands of opportunities to improve. And it becomes somewhat overwhelming. But if you pause for a second and go, of these uh, different things to improve, what are the most important? You know, work smarter, not harder. What are the things that are going to have the biggest impact? And start implementing those changes every day. It does work. And Bob, who would you say some of your like mentors are today? Who are you, who are you learning from? Well, I'll start with y'all. I think y'all got, uh, I, you know, one year in Atlanta, even before uh, we ever did any work with y'all, um, I admire you from afar. I think y'all have done a lot of wonderful things. I like to see companies that are growing. I look at Inc. 5000. That's actually how I finally, uh, I think I first got to know about y'all. We were both on the list. And I was like, huh, who are these guys? They're in Atlanta. I think, um, I look at other Inc. 5000 companies, try to find other people that are, are trying to push the envelope, that are trying to develop something out there. I don't turn back to lawyers a lot, to be honest with you. I look at a lot of non-lawyers going, what is their business doing to get better? Whatever it may be. You know, and it's so interesting like in listening to some of your responses, like when you're talking about how you start your day and then the, the, the focus on data and accountability and so on, I'm sure that the, to some people listening, that it's going to sound strange. They're going to be like, well, that sounds, you know, a little bit overboard or overkill. And I'm just nodding my head thinking, well, of, of course, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's exactly how it's done. And every every person that I believe who's achieved any level of success, that they're doing things like that. They're they're obsessed with the work that they do. They're obsessed with like they're, you know, supporting their clients, their team, making a great impact. And and, and for them, revenue is nothing more than really a scoreboard at this point, right? Because like, as you mentioned, I mean, there's, if you look ahead to even the future of the firm, you want to keep pushing. So I, again, I, I commend you for that, but this, it's almost like these, uh, what's the saying? It's like success leaves clues, but failure leaves fingerprints. It is all that little stuff. It is all that daily uh, stuff. And, you know, for the folks that sit there going, I couldn't do that. I got too much work. I got too many cases. You definitely feel that way. I don't want to take that away from you. I, I hear it from our attorneys. I'm overwhelmed. But you've got to find a way of taking one thing above what I call the whirlwind of life and of your caseload. And so I'm going to improve this one piece this month, just one thing, and make that your overarching goal for the month. Yeah, everything still has to happen. You still got to go to court. You still got to prepare files. Still got to meet with clients. Got to do everything you were doing. But if you have that one thing and you look at it going, I need to get that achieved this month, and you do that for 12 months. It's amazing how this basic uh, process actually it really is to success. Yeah, it's like this, uh, as you guys have experienced, what, this 23-year overnight success? 
<laughs> there's not all pretty years, you know, first 10 were pretty rough. That's what people don't see. They don't see those tough years where you're struggling, um, struggling, uh, pay bills, pay rent, pay your employees. It's not always pretty. It's not always easy. It's, it's a lot of hard work along the way, but consistent effort over time is going to lead to consistent results. What, what kept you going in those early years? I just have a drive. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to uh, fail. I'm going to find a way. may not find it the first time, may not find it the 50th time, but I'll find a way. And I think it's that persistence. It's that hunger. I know like John Morgan's, you know, can't teach hungry. I remember when I first read that book and I was like, man, that's kind of weird. But look at it today, man, he really nailed that concept. You just can't teach hungry. You got to want it. A lot of people say they want success or they say they want something. It's easy to say, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to do something to make that happen today? You know, take that challenge today. Don't wait. If you say you want to be the best in your practice area, or you say, you know, you want to do something, you have that control right this second. All you have to do is take a second and go, what am I going to do different this month? And start executing on those items. Love it. And Bob, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney Podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? You know, I don't know if I ever will perceive myself as a game changer. I'm just doing my thing, uh, trying to run a practice, trying to take care of uh, the folks that work with me, trying to get a little bit better. It is pretty crazy to sit back and think about how big we are now versus, you know, it's just me, myself and I on day one. But um, I appreciate the efforts of all the people I work with along the way. This is a lot of people. I just happen to be, you know, the front man, if you will, that's up there uh, that, that from the very beginning. But this effort wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the individual efforts of so many different people that have worked with us over the years. Some still with us, some, frankly, that have moved on and done their own thing. But that's what's really got us to where we are. Looking back on all of it, are you are you proud of yourself? I am. I am. I think, you know, when you sit back in life, um, I've had a good life. I've achieved a lot of what I wanted to achieve. Of course, I'm going to try to keep getting better. I don't have any regrets. I think I put it out there on the line. I think I did a pretty good job. And I think that's all you can do. You know, I never made it to be the, the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback. That was a bummer. But um, I think I took this field. I took this uh, job. And I, I think I did a good job. I think we've changed the way this practice area happens in Georgia. And, you know, for other states that are listening in, you know, we'll see what we do one day. But because uh, I'm not going to rest. Uh, as long as I can keep going, we're going to keep pushing this forward. I want to give a huge thank you to Bob Tharp for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated for me was when Bob said that his obsession with pursuing perfection and never having an end in sight is what keeps him engaged. That his firm has never gone backwards in revenue in over 20 years because he's constantly making improvements to every single aspect of the business. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Bob Tharp, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time and we'll be speaking with entrepreneur, investor, and best-selling author of The Alter Ego, Todd Herman. I can't coach someone on the the term that other people mean when it comes to motivation, which is desire. I can't coach your desire. You either want it or you don't want it. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Mm-hmm.